Hello and welcome to the Compassionate Leadership Interview. I'm Chris Whitehead and my guest today is Mike Kent, co-founder and managing director of Kit Locker, Sheffield sportswear manufacturer and distributor, associate lecturer at Sheffield Hallam University. You can find Mike on Twitter at Kit Locker. This recording was made in Kit Locker's factory, so there will be some background noise. Mike, can we start by you describing Kit Locker the business as it is today? In a nutshell, we are an online retailer specialising in personalised sportswear. We straddle a wide range of sectors covering core sports such as football, cricket, tennis, um, but we also do an awful lot of work in sort of education field as well. Um, we employ approximately 100 people across uh, the various departments that we have in the business. Before you and your fellow MD, Tom Ward, ran Kitlocker, you studied at Sheffield Hallam and played volleyball. At what point did you realise you were better businessmen than volleyball players? Speaking for myself, um, I think it was quite quick that I realised that my big dreams of playing professionally on the continent, um, you can earn some money playing volleyball abroad, uh, were dashed when I realised that I was too short and lacking in talent. Um, so I kind of persevered for three years with the training and competition and really loved the sort of team aspect of that um, and also the structure of the training. I think it was great discipline. But Tom being a bit taller and probably a bit more talented than I was on the volleyball court, he actually had the opportunity to play pro when we set the business up. So I'd kind of, and I guess taken a bit of a step back, I'd written a business plan for Kit Locker in my second year studies. So I was on a management course at Sheffield, at Sheffield Hammond that is. And it was actually him who suggested when I was graduating that maybe we'd look at this as a, a kind of opportunity for us to sort of launch as we were sort of graduating from university. But at the same time, he'd been offered a pro contract, I think, in Sweden. But he actually chose Kit Locker. You'd have to ask him if that was a, a good decision or not. <laughs> You're the classic entrepreneur in that you've never worked for anyone else. How have you equipped yourself to run a high-growth e-commerce business? I guess that we've kind of grown the company in a way that I don't necessarily think I'd recommend. Um, we kind of remained incredibly insular. So we were kind of fresh out of university and there wasn't sort of an intent to look outside of um, I guess what we were doing almost day to day there wasn't like this intention to shut ourselves off from the outside world but we as a company were not Sheffield based in terms of our kind of customer groups so when we look at whether it was networking or mentoring or education and training we didn't necessarily feel as though Sheffield would support any of that but again I kind of say this in reflection there wasn't an intent to just say we're going to shut ourselves off I think a lot of this has to do with some of the complexities that we saw in the business model so we launched e-commerce back in 2005 into a sector that was very um, and is still really really quite behind the times and we were really quite focused on ensuring that we built out a model um, and systems that could kind of cater for the complexities of the industry and I'd probably even say for the first decade, and the company's now, what, approximately 16 years, that we were really quite sort of focused internally. 
and just ensuring that we were refining process. Mm -hmm. And it's really, again, it wasn't necessarily a kind of an intentional drive to not shout about things, but we almost had this on-said understanding that we just needed to refine systems and ensure that our kind of um, service levels were appropriate before we could start to really kind of open up and talk about things. Probably after that sort of 10-year point, we did start to um, look and start to really try and drive the business on. I guess the first 10 years weren't about growing the company exponentially. It was just about refinement of process. We did grow in that period, but we were, as I say, we were kind of focused on the kind of service level side of things. Back, say, five years ago, we, we started to look at our sales function and our marketing function, and we started to build these out with a view to them become a little more um, externally facing. Mm -hmm. um, but with that, I think it also came with myself and Tom of starting to utilize some of our informal networks, especially, which have definitely kind of helped with experience and soundboarding. And I guess myself and Tom haven't really, other than through the process of doing, learning and failing, we haven't really formally looked at our own sort of education and training needs. It's interesting that more recently we have, um, as we've started to kind of build out our leadership team, that's more of a priority, but for our leaders as opposed to, and, and this isn't to say that myself and Tom don't need some good training and education, but it's more that we are trying to kind of develop those guys to, to drive the business on, I guess. In episode 12 of the Compassionate Leadership interview, I interviewed Tracy Allen, Chief Executive of Derbyshire Community Healthcare NHS Foundation Trust. She said the question she asks aspiring leaders in the NHS is, what is your leadership for? What would your answer be to that question? That's a very good question. And I think in simple terms, my leadership is about understanding where we are, where we're heading, and almost moving to shape the company to cater for the step changes that we've, we've kind of encountered, especially with the bootstrapping nature of what we've done. It's been quite apparent some of those step changes. I guess the tricky part of this is to be in front of it as much as possible and ensuring that I guess our kind of strategy and tactics align to the future steps that we're looking to take as opposed to being quite reactive. And I think that, again, on reflection, as the company's kind of gone through different phases of its, um, I guess, its life cycle, it was always quite reactive. And it's probably been quite reactive for some time. It's a very service-intensive industry we sit in. And with that comes challenges of scale. But I guess as we've developed leadership structures more, and again, in, in the last three, four, five years, the nature of it kind of changes, and it becomes a bit easier in terms of shouldering that kind of progressive workload, but more challenging the kind of creation of those plans and ensuring that the key people in the business are, are sort of across those and adequately communicated too, but also then what are the processes and, and what are the kind of, um, what are the structures that we kind of need to build around that. And what drives you? There's two things I think that do drive me. The first I think is that I quite enjoy the very nature of the sort of problem solving that a growing company presents. And it's both proactive and reactive. That isn't necessarily always firefighting. And I've spent an awful lot of time in years gone by with our development team. So again, as an e-commerce company, systems are really quite important for us. And I really have a lot of time for the way that, not necessarily just our web developers, but they have a, a mindset and a very logical mindset 
and can create solutions out of pretty much code, which is thin air in the grand scheme of things. And that's a quite a fascinating area for me. The other part, I guess, in terms of what drives me is the people. And I think that that's obviously the, the kind of fundamental part of business. And as the, again, as the company's kind of scaled, it's been interesting as we've given our leadership team a bit more time that we mesh our systems and our people with our strategy. And this isn't that it's entirely congruent, but it's, it's almost that kind of drive of, this is the next wave of problem solving. And how do we then kind of equip our teams and our, our kind of leadership people to, to do that? And I think that that serving the company with what it requires to, to take the next step. I'm not sure whether I see the next steps entirely um, accurately, but I guess that's again part of the position. Do you have a leadership philosophy as such? I think it's evolved an awful lot, and I think that it's evolved in line with experience, and it's involved it's evolved in the way the company's kind of developed. And again, I think that when we reflect back in terms of myself and Tom, there's never been a massive intent drive through the company to, not necessarily to do something, but it's not, there hasn't been a clear end goal to say this is what we want to achieve. And I guess it's similar in terms of almost how I consider my own sort of philosophy. I do think at the heart of, um, of all of my, and I say all of my decision making, there's a strong sort of link to empathy. So in terms of trying to do the right thing by our teams and then almost looking at how we can kind of support people in, in the, the kind of process of growing. But I also think that, that running alongside this, and I think that this isn't being necessarily a natural philosophy of mine, is that I've had to be relatively autocratic. Again, because we've got quite a young group of employees and that's based on the way that we almost bootstrap to get people into the business. We were heavily reliant on the placement programs at Sheffield Hallam and Sheffield University to bring in talent. But this is, it's, it's not trying to micromanage. It's trying to provide people with a base level of instructions to help them to, I guess, give them some guardrails in their domain, in their position. Again, that kind of empathetic nature of me is that I want to see them own their domain which is almost where that kind of autocratic piece sort of falls down a touch, I think. I wonder if you're using the right word there, Mike. You don't seem like an autocrat to me. Which is, again, it is in reflection, it's hard to sort of define it, but I think that where you have, it, it is a relatively inexperienced kind of group of people that are developing into what I think will be really good leaders. Maybe autocratic is the wrong word, but it's, I, I, and again, in reflection, I don't spend an awful lot of time trying to define, like self-define which is probably an issue. But yeah, um, if you've got a better definition, I'm, I'm all ears. <laughs> you, me and Dave Hembra have all done the leading through health and wellbeing course at Sheffield Hallam, led by Rich Field. What's your favourite takeaway from that? I, th I think one of the phrases that kind of, uh, that Rich instilled was ruthless on the issue and gentle on the person. And whilst that may not be entirely correct in terms of how we framed it, as simple a term as that is, I think there's so much power to that. But kind of wider on the course, it was a great um, thing for me to one, develop network. It was a good group of people um, that there was an awful lot of kind of experience in the room and being able to bounce off. And the way they structured that allowed for some really great sort of engaging conversations. And um, both Rich and Peter really kind of enabled the group to sort of come together. But I also think that the 
and I kind of reference sort of NLP, but Peter's sort of approach of better understanding oneself, but also the people that we're kind of working with. There was an awful lot in that where, um, and we, we've looked at some of the, uh, I guess, kind of characteristics mapping, for want of a better term, in, in different areas of the business, but it's almost having that as, a, as part of your kind of tool set and how to, I guess, better kind of communicate and function as a, as a team as much as anything. Ruthless on the issue, gentle on the person. Words of wisdom, I think. Peter Drucker famously said, culture eat strategy for breakfast. Do you think he was right? For, for, for us, I, I do think that culture is massively important. And as I kind of just explained around our sort of placement programmes, I think it's helped us to unintentionally create a, a strong culture. It's not massively well-defined. It's something that we are trying to kind of work more, I guess, intent-driven to, to assist that and cultivate that. But we're quite varied in our teams. And this isn't to say that culture isn't important across other teams, because that's, that's not the point. But it's with the variation kind of the different sort of skill sets that are required and the different experiences of people in the business, whilst it's massively important that there is a positive culture there, we're trying to understand how we better define that and how we, I guess, kind of shape that from department to department and seeing how that works or doesn't work. But what I see in some of some of our operational teams is that it's massively important, yes, to have a, a good culture and feel, make people feel valued. And again, I guess that kind of um, reverberates with the kind of my empathetic approach, but actually they need a good plan. I think they're quite sort of symbiotic. They can sort of mould together, I guess. Every business is in a competition for talent, but e-commerce back office staff are particularly hard to come by. How do you go about recruiting and retaining the people you need? So I've mentioned the kind of placement programme that we've used. That's really helped us to get some quite key people into the business. Um, And some have been here for a good number of years and are well established in leadership positions across the company. The recruitment side of what we do We've not steered a huge way off that, and we've more recently we have actually done some more external recruitment. So we've we've taken on, and again this was kind of linked to a strategic need for us to sort of balance workloads. We recruited um, some sales talent to assist us in a particular channel that we're, we're we're kind of looking to penetrate, but it was it didn't feel overly complicated to. Do that, and I don't know if the kind of pandemic had created a bit of a condition that that it was a bit more straightforward. But I also, I don't think we've got again a massively well-defined, but I think we've got quite a good story. And actually, as a company, we have quite a lot of positive aspects to it. So in this instance, when we were recruiting within industry, it was quite easy to sort of position an opportunity and say, right, this is kind of what we want to do. When we then look at the kind of retention of people. This is something we're working on more recently. And I guess things shifted slightly in pandemic times in terms of how I approach the business. And one of the key things that kind of drove through me was that I want to be more intent driven on what we do. So what we've kind of moved to do is look at how we better shape ourselves for this kind of retention and how do we build it more into the fabric of what we do. We're not 100% there yet, but again, it's almost like an extension of this empathetic approach. How do we get our leadership teams to be more empathetic and more supportive of their teams 
And a lot of this, from our perspective, is about creating time. I think the people that we've got have been screened for their the kind of cultural um, strengths that they've got around this sort of empathy and helping to develop people to kind of work through. And again, it's about creating that structure and just making sure that it's not it's not ignored, so that it's bedded into the fabric of what we do through our appraisal structures, through our development programs for, for all staff. So now we have a series of questions that I ask all my guests. What is your proudest achievement in your career to date? There isn't a single moment where I'd say this is the proudest achievement. I don't know again whether this is um, a, a kind of deflection tactic, but it's I'm proud of what our teams have achieved, but I don't step back and say I'm proud of what I've achieved, because I think we've still got an awful lot to do. But we have to take the moments to sort of recognise where our teams are doing great work and where we've actually come together to solve an issue or create these kind of solutions that allow us to sort of step up in, in scale. We're, we're quite a kind of fast-growing company in that sense. And would you be prepared to disclose your biggest mistake and what you learnt from it? This is probably a bit of an easier one to answer. I don't think we've had any cataclysmic mistakes. Uh, I guess we're still here. We've made a series of what would probably be considered small mistakes and have learnt from them. In terms of kind of an example, we'd just started this relationship with the University of Sheffield. Their biggest club had placed quite a substantial order and the product was wrong. And the university had just gone through a rebrand. So it was, um, yeah, quite an interesting kind of experience. But I guess from it, we learnt two things that are very important that we see in business, especially our line of work. Uh, any line of work I guess. One is relationships. So the guy at the University of Sheffield who is now a very good friend of mine, a, a gentleman called Andy Cox, he, he runs the sports department down there. He handled this incredibly well and I think that the way that we almost sort of fronted this and tried to own the mistake and be quite upfront and honest in saying look this is, this is quite a big problem for us it really helped us to create a great relationship with Andy. And again, that's endured years and years of one supplying the university, but also we're, we're quite good friends on, um, uh, sort of away from, from, from the kind of workload as such. But it also, it, it kind of showcased that need, especially when you do make a mistake, to be quite upfront and try and communicate it as early as possible. And that was quite a big learning for us that we still use now in terms of some of our tools for our account managers it, or our customer support team, we are obviously trying our hardest to mitigate mistakes and errors, but the, the nature of our kind of line of work is that they happen, and it's about how we communicate them, and trying to put, the, the, put things right where we can and where we need to. Is there a person or experience that has inspired you on your journey, Mike? And I kind of mentioned that I'd written the business plan for, the, uh, for, for Kitlock in my second year, I'd kind of parked that on a shelf and had no real intention of coming back to it. But before this, and I think what sort of helped me when, because it was Tom that sort of said, let's give this a go. But I think one of the key things that happened before I'd written this business plan was we had a company called Jagged Globe, who are a Sheffield-based company. They came in, and the, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but the guy that ran the company came in on the request of one of our lecturers to just have a, I think it was a two-hour talk. And he showcased as a company what they do. But he also talked through the journey of, of how they kind of grew. And what they do is incredibly cool. They take people on expeditions to 
Mount Everest to base camp. A lot of it's charitable. And he just had the most amazing deck of experiences that he'd been through. But he also talked incredibly passionately about how the company navigated itself and how it had grown. And I think when Tom mentioned, let's do this, there was something that had kind of definitely resonated on that. Because when I look at it, again in hindsight, I'd actually kind of applied during my dissertation time to be an accountant. And that led me to then start lecturing and, and do some associate lecturing work at Hallam. But actually when Tom presented this, it was like, I don't typically think of myself as an entrepreneur. But actually I thought that was a very cool journey that we'd kind of been presented with. And I've not, we, we were literally 200 metres from their building when we moved uh, our third time into, into Canham Island in Sheffield. I've not managed to find the guy and say, I don't know whether you realise that you've had a bit of an impact, um, which I should probably do. Is there a book, podcast or video, beside your own, that you'd recommend to aspiring leaders? From a book, there's two books that I'd probably recommend. And one is, it's Creativity Inc. It's on Pixar and how they structured a lot of their creative process and almost kind of the, the sort of story of how they developed their company and how they almost brought creativity to the forefront of, of what they do and how they build a structure to keep control of that, but not to an extent that they kind of stifle it. That was an interesting read. And I think the reason for me reading that was that we were starting to build out our marketing team and we're just looking at almost how do we create an environment whereby creativity can come to the fore. The other book, and this is one that Rich recommended, um, is Good to Great, which is Jim Collins. And that's just a very simple, and I say simple, obviously an awful lot of research has gone into it, but the way that's kind of broken down how to strive to become a great company is, it's quite a good book to sort of engage with and very, very sort of straightforward. And then in terms of podcasts, uh, the High Performance Podcast, which is one that's out at the minute, quite, quite current. I, I try and build some time in to listen to things when I'm walking the dog every morning. And usually it, it kind of wraps around, I think I quite enjoy listening to people's stories of how they've done something. Doesn't necessarily need to be business related, but how they've kind of uh, gone about doing whatever it is they've done. Well, that's a convenient segue into our penultimate question. You have a young family and a growing business. What does your self-care regime look like? Yeah, it is, um, it's more difficult than it probably needs to be. We are, we're home to um, Hallam Barbell, and Met, which has now become metal, um, and also the, uh, the, the rowing club. So we have plenty of exercise opportunity on site, but I managed to dislocate my shoulder not too long after graduating and sort of setting up the company. And at the time I was spinning a few plates and I kind of used that as an opportunity to just say, look, I've given volleyball a good go. My body suffered as a result. I'm just gonna kind of park that. And I've then almost had a bit of a strange relationship with, um, I guess the kind of self-care, not just on an exercise front. A lot of my time has been invested in, almost purely invested into the company. And granted, my, my partner at home and as you say a young family with a, another one on the way but I guess as I've kind of got a bit older I've been far more kind of conscious that I do need to start to take more care of myself I say my kind of levels of stamina but whether that's physical stamina or even the ability to concentrate for long periods of time I, I think are diminishing as I'm, I'm growing older I'm not sure if that's um, part and result of having a three and a half four year old um, but it's, uh, it's definitely something that kind of needs more attention. So 
I guess it's kind of opportune that at the minute I am trying to be far more sort of disciplined with looking after myself and being more learned as well as being better exercised and being mindful of being mindful. Finally, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? I would have probably said don't be so insular and that it's important to address the external influences influences that would have helped us develop. I don't necessarily think that we would have benefited from trying to grow faster, but I think we'd have benefited a whole lot by having a better comprehension of the big picture, so an, almost an optics element. Also, having more intent behind what we do, and I think that we've developed that more through our being more externally focused, and whether that is from networks or different experiences or so we do an awful lot of work with our suppliers like Nike and Addy they're great for giving optics because the big picture is it's what they're great at and our proximity to that has allowed us to kind of develop and understand things so yeah I'd probably say be a bit more external focused um, rather than just purely internal thanks Mike my pleasure I've greatly enjoyed our interview today which has been a fascinating window on the new generation of Sheffield manufacturers. It seems to me that Kitlocker is a hugely effective blend of high quality employee and customer relationships and leading edge technology. And thanks for listening to the Compassionate Leadership interview. You can order Compassionate Leadership, the book on Amazon. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can find me at patreon.com forward slash Chris Whitehead. Email me about the show, chris at danflasconsulting.com. This episode was recorded on location at Kitlocker in Sheffield and the music was brought to you by 96 Back on CPU Records. <laughs>